I found it as an eye-opening adventure at times. And that's because of the breadth of people that I've met in hospital. In my experience of life, there is no realer, honest place to be than a mental health hospital. Why? Because people are totally raw and transparent. You've got the whole demographic. You've got people that are homeless. You've got people that are wealthy. It's been a humbling experience and incredibly powerful to give me empathy for just the human psyche and, and humans in general. Hello there and welcome to Mental Health at Work, the podcast where people reveal the mental health stories that shaped how they think about work and themselves. For the final episode of the season, we've got James Ski, founder and CEO of Sales Confidence, who shares his experience of bipolar disorder, what teammates can do to support someone with the condition, and why there's nowhere more raw and honest than a mental hospital. As always, this podcast is brought to you by Oliva, proper mental health support and emotional growth for every single employee. If you want to learn more about how Oliva could support your business and your people, head to oliva.health. That's O-L-I-V-A dot health. Okay, let's get on with the show. Hey James, how's it going? It's going well, Simon. How are you? Good, thanks. Good. Welcome to the podcast properly. I know we chatted a little bit before, but it's uh, it's good to have you here for a longer chat. Looking forward to it. Do you want to just quickly introduce your yourself, James? So my name's uh, James Ski. I'm the founder and CEO of Sales Confidence. Sales Confidence is the world's most valuable B2B sales community. Our mission is to help salespeople and sales leaders at each stage of their career with their mindset well-being and performance. I've been running this business for about five years now. Um, I'm also diagnosed with bipolar disorder and I'm successfully building a business while managing my bipolar disorder and also raising a family of three kids. I mean, I was checking out your LinkedIn. You've got some nice companies on there. Like, uh, well, you got LinkedIn on your LinkedIn um, for a start and also Drift too, which probably some people will be familiar with. But yeah, your career has always been pretty sales focused from the beginning. So I wondered what attracted you to sales originally? Why did you get into it? From a very early age, I was aware of the business world. In fact, a story I like to tell is I went on holiday with a number of families when I was 15. And I was really attracted to one of the girls that was in attendance. And her dad was a very successful business person. And he basically had a book on how to be successful in business. I picked up the book for the first time, was introduced to the world of business and the possibilities. And literally from that moment on, maybe because I was trying to impress his daughter, it just triggered an interest in business as a career. And one of the things I took away from books was the importance of the skill of sales and being able to influence and persuade people yeah, you're certainly picking more sophisticated reading material than I did when I was 15 on holiday. I was mainly reading Kerrang! and stuff like that. So, 
Um, so yeah, you spent a few years building up your uh, sales rep working in in-house in companies. Then you did start your own business. Just tell me a bit more about that. And like, at what point did you think now it's the time that I can take this plunge? So I was always pursuing entrepreneurial ideas and side projects outside of work. Like I worked through many ideas that um, I would kind of ideate on for a number of weeks, maybe create a landing page, drive some traffic to it and realise there was nobody converting and no one was interested in a lot of these ideas. In 2017, I started to think, what did I really want to do next in my career? And fortunately, I had a really successful run at LinkedIn, so I'd built up some savings and I felt that I was in a more comfortable, stable position in my career to really consider pursuing a business. And I realised that I was always going to be associated with sales. I wanted to do something around mindset and well-being because of my own experience with my own mental health. And I also believed that the software industry was here to stay. So when I drew those circles, they kind of all overlapped with each other. And then I believed that the best way to build a brand, a product, was to get people in a room to understand what their needs and wants were. When I was coming up with ideas for the name of the company, I wanted the word sales in it because I wanted it to be clear that there was a niche for sales professionals. And then I had variations of lots of other words and then I landed on the word confidence because I wanted to highlight mental health and mental well-being, but I didn't want to use the word kind of uh, mental health or well-being and so the word confidence which I believe is aspirational and is also critical in your success as an individual evolved and developed and then we brought the first sales confidence event together in September 2017. We should dive into the bipolar a little bit. I guess maybe most people have a vague idea of what it is more people than people think are affected by it or they know someone who has it. Um, my uncle actually had bipolar, so I'm kind of familiar with it. But could you just describe the bipolar experience for you and, and yeah, ha- how you experience it? Bipolar, also known as manic depression, is essentially a mood disorder that can impact the level of mood that you have over a day, week, month, Uh, yearly basis and it fluctuates so naturally our moods fluctuate all the time and I I like to think of it on a scale so if you think about zero being you're lying down and you're comfortable and then kind of it go a scale can go up to 10 five being you're happy um, you're motivated you know maybe seven could be you just found out that a friend of yours is getting married or you've just had a job promotion you'll, you'll probably get to a seven and an, an eight is maybe ha- having fun at a party a minus uh, two or three could be you're just you're just lacking a little bit of motivation and as that goes below kind of minus five minus six you're probably feeling a lull and you're really struggling to motivate yourself to deliver tasks in your work on a daily basis the point is if you're suffering with bipolar is that you tend to experience the extremes of those moods so 
You can be in a prolonged depression where you lack confidence, you lack self-belief, you have huge imposter syndrome, and you really struggle with day-to-day tasks. And that takes you in the kind of what I would describe as the minus eight, minus nine. Minus nine, minus 10 is the maximum extreme. And that's kind of, you know, suicidal ideation, thoughts of self-harm, and you, you obviously don't want to go beyond that. And then on the other extreme, on the kind of plus nine, plus 10 scale is when you are kind of manic, you might be psychotic, you believe in things that, that aren't actually um, real, and you have extreme traits of your personality. So for me, I've experienced the kind of extremes of the spectrum, and it kind of manifested itself when I was at university. I was experiencing these extreme depressions where I was below minus five, I was avoiding going out, I didn't want to socialize, I didn't want to meet people, I didn't want to see people. I would literally hide in my bedroom. There were times that I might go to the library or go to a lecture. I would purposely avoid people. If I saw someone that might make eye contact, I would purposely move direction. And that was obviously not normal behavior. And I didn't realize it wasn't normal behavior. It was just how I was behaving. And as a result of that going on for a period of time, I also came out on the other side, on on the extreme um, hypermanic side, and I was um, basically doing lots of unusual things, like I was organising parties at the time, and for me, none of this was drug or alcohol induced, it was just a kind of chemical imbalance in my brain that led me to extreme behaviour, essentially to the point where Um, I found myself standing on top of my car, undressing in the middle of Oxford High Street where I was at university, and then getting pulled over by the police. And then a few days later, I landed in a mental health hospital. And that was the tipping point to recognise that clearly I was unwell. And that's kind of how my experience of bipolar started yeah it's an interesting place to find out you have bipolar university i guess because i think for most people who have been to university it's a place where you kind of do naturally experience low periods and also you know your story about getting undressed on a car i'm sure there's plenty of people that at uni did stuff not that different to that and they're not bipolar (laughs) do you know what i mean so like (laughs) It must have been a strange place to realise that. Like, you know, was there a period leading up to it where you were just putting it down to, or maybe your friends were just putting it down to the kind of the normal fluctuations of states that you go through at uni before you actually realised, oh, this is actually a problem? It's an interesting question. I mean, from the... I have a rowing background. I have a sport background, a high-performance sport background. I trialled for Great Britain in my teenage years, I never made Great Britain and I was always quite upset about that and I've, I've kind of used that as a motivator in my career and in business but I, I was a fairly extreme character. I was quite obsessive with my rowing training but if I'm honest and this has always been the hardest thing for people around me, some of the behaviour changes are so subtle that you just don't notice them. I might be present in a lecture hall, I might sit down with someone, I might have a conversation with them, but they would have no idea that I'm suffering from extreme depression. 
because I'm still having a conversation with them and I wouldn't disclose or share the experiences or the difficulty that I was going on. And it's not unusual, you know, the diagnosis of bipolar and other mental health disorders do actually come apparent quite often when people leave home because you've left the security of your, you know, if you've, you know, you know if, if you've had a kind of a healthy and positive upbringing, which I did, you've come from a stable home and then you have to go out into the world where you're struggling with money, having to cook, you know, there's alcohol for some people, there's drugs, there's all sorts of things that can cause instability and that's when that period of time tends to evolve and, and open up. So, you know, to answer the question, people didn't really recognise any difference with me. It was only literally once I was in hospital and I started calling some of my friends to explain that I wasn't going to be around for a while, where they were kind of shocked. Um, you kind of touched on some of them there a little bit, um, but I'm interested in your take on, like, what are some of the common misconceptions that people have about bipolar? Unfortunately, in the media, bipolar can be associated with criminal activity. There's a misconception that you can't live a productive life if you have a mental illness that is absolutely a misconception because of course there are many people that have overcome their mental health challenges and, and pursued success and careers that are fulfilling in their own right and have been able to look after their family and the other thing is if you're always ill so that's something that I've struggled with you know most of the time I'm not ill I'm absolutely fine I, I guess I'm like anybody you know I have down days and I have up days but the illness kind of rears its ugly head when it's in that extreme, you find yourself in this dark period of time. But the misconception is you can't function. You can still function. And so this is the thing that is overlooked. Again, I kind of touched on it earlier when I said my friends wouldn't be aware of my challenges. The fact is a depressed person can turn up to work, complete their tasks. But behind what they're showing you is someone that's really suffering. I speak to a lot of people about mental health stigmas and maybe the greatest mental health stigma that exists in our society is attached to the idea of like being hospitalized for mental health problems, right? And I've got some experience with this myself. Like my mum had a pretty massive breakdown in um, 2017 and we had to put her in a mental hospital for about a month or so. Mm -hmm. And it's an eye-opening experience, definitely, but I think one of the most interesting parts of that for me was being on the ward, visiting her, the people that you meet. It's not kind of the stereotypes of who you think or how you would think like people are in, in mental hospitals, you know. It was such a diverse group of people that were coming in and out of that place, you know, and speaking to the people, the relatives and the family members and stuff. It really can happen to a really wide variety of people, so... Yeah, did you just want to say something about like what it's like to be in hospital for mental health and a bit about that experience just so people have a better understanding of like what that actually looks like? The first thing to say, like a normal hospital, and when I say normal, you know, a kind of an acute hospital for physical challenges, you have a hospital bed, you have nurses, you have doctors, you would hope that they're clean, you know, you get a private room, you have your own bathroom. They're supposed to be safe places because the nature of if you find yourself in hospital is that you're potentially a harm to yourself or a harm to other people. And a hospital, a mental health hospital is to stabilise you, assess you and look after you. 
I've been in quite a number of hospitals across the country. And, you know, when I'm positive about it, and this might sound a bit peculiar to describe it, I found it an eye-opening adventure at times. And that's because of the breadth of people that I've met in hospital. In my experience of life, there is no realer, honest place to be than a mental health hospital. Why? Because people are totally raw and transparent. And they're either at their bottom of their feeling about themselves or they're, you know, can be drug-induced and hyperactive and manic and what you would coin odd behaviour and some people would describe as crazy behaviours. You've got this whole mix of people. You've got the whole demographic. You've got people that are homeless. You've got people that are wealthy. It's been a humbling experience and incredibly powerful to give me empathy for just the human psyche and and humans in general. I've experienced all extremities, but overall what I've learned, overall people are there to help you. Yeah, um, I totally agree with that point you said about about the raw honesty that comes with the conversations that you have uh, with people in mental hospitals. It's true, like all bullshit is out the window by that point. No one has any front left. And so, yeah, I mean, I kind of came out of that experience with my mum having had the most honest conversations I've ever had with her. Looking back, it was terrible at the time, but lots of positives have come out of it in a weird way because, like you say, it does kind of strip everything back to the basics and forces everyone to kind of confront whatever's going on in their lives, right? Absolutely. So once you got this diagnosis, what happened after that? How did you start treating your bipolar? So it was a combination of medication and also relieving stress or stressors. Something I struggle with sometimes to this day when I reflect on it is I decided not to continue with my rowing career because I felt that it was creating a lot of pressure on my psyche that was driving me to extremes from a training perspective, but it wasn't conducive to the stability I felt I needed at that point. So that was something that I'd stopped doing. I also just spent a lot of time relaxing and not putting myself in environments where I had to be acting in a certain way. So, you know, I wasn't visiting clubs or bars or or pubs. I also experienced cognitive behavioural therapy and started to really understand the root causes of my thoughts and how that triggered my behaviours. And I started to read a lot of books about mindset, practising mindfulness, becoming much more self-aware. You know, I kind of introduced a set of new habits that allowed me to live a kind of more calming and balanced existence. Now, if I'm honest, I wasn't great at it. And I remember in my early 20s, the doctors always say, James, you need to find balance in your life. And I just thought, well, you know, I'm pursuing business. I don't think I'm going to live a balanced life. And then I had to get a job, which was in sales. And that's then when my stress levels started to immediately rise. And this is the kind of frustrating advice I used to get was look James maybe you should you know consider something other than sales because it's a stressful environment and it it potentially can trigger your bipolar and that's just not what I wanted to hear I didn't want to hear that I couldn't achieve what I'd set out to achieve and so I kind of put myself back in environments that were leading to additional stress and that's when unfortunately I had kind of relapses in my 20s because my obsessive 
pursuit of success, high performance, would lead me to kind of overwork and, and burn out. Sales is a pretty extroverted job, right? You're talking to a lot of strangers every day. You're building a lot of relationships all the time. And I guess for some people with bipolar, this can be a challenge, right? Have you ever questioned your kind of career choice in sales as a, as a result of bipolar? Yes, I have. And also, I felt like I was carrying this massive secret. And I often talk about this when I've done previous talks about my experiences that a lot of the stigma is the self-stigma that you apply to yourself, that you question that you're not a positive contributor to society because you've experienced mental ill health and I've been in hospital. And, you know, I didn't want to tell anybody. I didn't tell my employers. I didn't tell my managers. I didn't tell HR. And I was just avoiding the fact that I've been in this experience because, you know, I didn't want anybody to know that I've suffered and that I've been through these challenging times. And that, in essence, created more stress for me. And I became more stressed because I became more conscious that I was hiding something. And, you know, it added to my anxiety. And one of the things you have to do in sales, especially earlier in your career, is make a lot of phone calls. And when you're struggling with anxiety and you're feeling the imposter, like it becomes very difficult to pitch people, strangers, as you say. I definitely questioned um, what I was doing, but I was motivated on this long-term ambition to have my own business. And so, you know, I kind of got my head down and pursued it. But if I'm honest, it was at times very, very difficult to kind of keep up the facade that I was this outgoing, extroverted salesperson when ultimately I was really struggling to maintain stability and stay sane in, in some kind of scenarios. Do you remember your first experience then or the first time that bipolar impacted you at work to the extent where you kind of had to open up about it or like it was just obvious to colleagues that something was going on or you had to, you know, your bipolar really opened up at work or you had to open up about it at work? It was a, an early stage software company and I noticed that my behaviour was going on that kind of extreme end of the, the plus seven, plus eight. One of the things that, I, that happens to me is I become, I'm quite an outgoing guy, but I become overly gregarious, a bit arrogant on the extreme. I don't kind of filter what I'm saying to people. My speech becomes pressured as I speak more rapidly. It's still very subtle to other people, but I can become an uncomfortable person to be around and someone that you know may be causing some disruption. I knew I needed to have a break. The stress of the job and the extreme development of my behaviours meant I needed to speak to someone. And, and so I approached my HR leader and said I needed to have a private conversation with you about my experiences, my background. And I was really emotional about it. I felt really difficult. But what I learned, and I'm grateful to that person, that you know they just took it in their stride. I wanted to understand what I needed wanted to offer flexibility, support and guidance. And all of that just made me feel a sense of relief. And I think that's a really important message to anybody that, you know, gets approached by someone that is experiencing kind of mental anguish is that you really just 
want to be there to listen and not show judgment and offer a helping hand. The relief I felt after that allowed me actually quite quickly to recover without needing hospitalisation or other extreme methods of control. I guess it's not a 100% thing, right? You might get someone who's less understanding and that is a situation that, you know, you probably felt in your mind could have gone either way, right? And unfortunately, it happens to many people that don't get that empathy, don't get heard, and that, that can lead to a deterioration in their symptoms and their behaviour because if you've tried to open up to someone when you're struggling and they haven't heard you or listened, it can have a devastating effect. It's interesting because some of the traits that you described then, being overly gregarious, talking a lot, having lots of ideas, these, some of these traits you would apply to like a high-performing salesperson, wouldn't you? <laughs> Do you know, it's really funny that you say that. Um, so there's this book called, I think it's called The Hypermanic Edge. I think it's an American book about the similarities between the symptoms of someone that's hypermanic and a high-performing business person, salesperson, or entrepreneur. If you put them side by side, they're very similar. It's only until those behaviours have a negative impact or negative consequences that it starts to lead to diagnoses of ill health. Now, there are many characters, extreme characters in society, that often self-medicate maybe through alcohol maybe through drugs you know maybe through other disruptive behaviors that have never had a diagnosis and you know can get found out in later life so actually i mean it's an interesting point you're right like there is a lot of similarity between those traits and also the symptoms of ill health and you know having the extreme moods yeah i remember once i watched this documentary called a bipolar expedition and it's about this super successful businessman who has bipolar and yeah they're kind of interviewing his business associates slash friends on it and he also I mean the documentary kind of follows him during a manic episode but then he's a kind of a talking head about about himself later on viewing it from when he balanced himself out a bit which is an interesting dynamic but he, he basically says that like yeah because he's such a successful businessman, he has, he has a lot of, um, he has a great reputation. People see him as a credible person. But in his manic states, he will like, you know, phone people up and talk and, and, and kind of uh, ask for things that seem very odd and peculiar. And actually, he's in a manic state and, you know, often, you know, didn't mean to do that in hindsight. But it's caught, yeah, it's caused some issues with him in business and his relationships, like, has, has bipolar ever, you know, has it ever negatively impacted any relationships you've had professionally? Unfortunately, I know that I could have made people around me feel uncomfortable, especially in sales teams, as I was developing and maturing in my career. And often that would just be seen as, you know, personality traits that you don't connect with or, you know, it's not someone that you want to spend more time with. But I definitely feel like I probably would have had a ne negative impact on certain people in my career because I was going through a, a, an episode and I may not have been aware that my behaviours had changed until it was too late. I definitely have made decisions in my career and business during some of these phases that have been not well thought out because one of the things that happens when you're hypermanic 
is that you make kind of rapid decisions and you really back yourself and believe that anything's possible. Again, you know, belief is a good trait and you need it, especially as an entrepreneur. But when you overstep the mark and you make decisions that are a little detached from reality, i.e. the reality of your financial circumstances in business, well, that can have impact on other people. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it's a fine line, right? Everyone makes mistakes and bad decisions. No one gets on with everybody. So it's kind of a very hard thing, I guess, to put down to, oh, I made this decision because I was in this uh, manic state versus, you know, it was just a poor decision, which like anyone could make, you know. Which is fair. Going into future jobs then after that one, did you try and approach the topic more proactively? So if I'm honest, I and I often advise people, and I don't think this is necessarily the best advice or if it's right, but I often advise people not to disclose until they've got the job. And I therefore you know, would apply for roles, have interviews, get offers, and not disclose my challenges. It was only until I joined LinkedIn that I felt for the first time in my professional career that I was able to open up and speak openly about the experience that I'd had. And so, you know, it it took, I guess, a a maturing point in my life that I felt that I'd reached a point of my own success that I felt, well, nothing can impact me. I can only go forwards from this point on. I've achieved a fair amount. I'm now ready to talk openly about my difficulties. And so that was a big turning point for me where I was able to open up and publicly share my story with people. I was being my true self and able to express my story without fear of judgment. And I received a lot of gratitude and praise as a result. And I kind of carried that through into my business and my story, into my marketing as I've evolved and set up my own company and developed how are you feeling in yourself and how you've been dealing with this more recently over the last few years? I'm much more thoughtful on how I spend my time on a daily, weekly basis. I exercise sometimes once, sometimes even twice a day. I eat a healthy diet. I practice kind of mindfulness. And I just do and have habits that are allowing me to kind of not be overwhelmed or stressed. That being said... The last time I was in hospital was at the beginning of 2020. And the, the sad thing about it is the manic episodes that evolved and developed almost you know, felt like it came out of nowhere. Now, I know it was accumulation over weeks and months that it built up on reflection, but it did come out of nowhere. And that's when I kind of faced hospital. And so Nowadays, I just try and get ahead of it and stay on top of all those elements that I've talked about to maintain wellness. I speak to people all the time for content for Oliva about the stresses of trying to balance running a business with you know your personal life and having a family and all this. You know, th- this is a challenge for literally anyone, right? Let alone if you have consistent bipolar along with that. But it's interesting because you know people of all types are struggling to maintain that balance. But in a way, having bipolar, it's kind of forced you to be more aware and more mindful than most people about your own mental health and balancing work and life, right? So, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what, what my question is, but I just find that an interesting point, you know, that like there's probably some people that will go years and years longer with unhealthy habits and probably doing their mental health like a lot of damage. It's like your bipolar is almost like it forces you to check yourself. Do you know what I mean? 
that's a great observation and I absolutely agree it does. It means that I have to be a lot more self-aware and work harder at maintaining that equilibrium. And you're right, people can live in a state of duress and difficulty for years and years before it tips them over the edge and, and that's harsh. And sometimes those wake-up calls don't happen until something extreme happens later in life. So in some ways it is a bit of a gift that I have had my diagnosis and know that I really have to be careful on how I approach my work, how I approach my life and the habits that I um, live by on a daily basis. Right at the start, you mentioned your business, you very deliberately called it sales confidence because you felt like that was a kind of destigmatizing factor rather than linking it directly to like mental health or mental well-being terms like this, right? So just looking at your LinkedIn page, a lot of people on LinkedIn and in general, they're very openly advocates for like mental health in the workplace, mental well-being. They'll be writing this about themselves in their profile, be posting a lot about it on LinkedIn, stuff like that. Whereas from your LinkedIn, it looks pretty much like any salesperson's LinkedIn, you know. You're not um, going out of your way to talk about mental health like every single day of the week. But at the same time, you seem like incredibly comfortable talking about mental health and your experiences, like very, very short about it. So how do you approach the mental health aspects of your business? And how would you describe your approach to, to advocacy and 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 how you approach it in your business with sales confidence? Firstly, I create an environment that is safe, welcoming, and non-judgmental for people. So when you're in a space with me, you know, I've got an event tomorrow for 125 young salespeople. There will be speakers. I've encouraged those speakers to be open and honest and feel like they should have confidence in delivering what they're going to say. And I want to create that environment where... It's non-judgmental, whatever you're sharing, whatever story that you've got to tell. From an advocacy um, perspective, I do a lot less than I used to. I feel motivated just after this conversation. I probably will put a post out today because I'm in the mode of it. And, you know, it's in my story. People that follow me have a sense that I've experienced bipolar. And so, you know, I will thread it into the narrative that I tell. But just for me personally... Mental health, well-being, performance, it's kind of one aspect of the individual professional. And I, I want to focus on the professional and their development, not necessarily bringing out the narrative of how's that impacting your mental health or are you having challenges with your mental health on a daily basis. So for me, it's just how I take a measured approach to communicating with my audience having it there as part of my story but really it's more how I turn up show up in the world and act in the world that has been enhanced from being bipolar not the fact that I'm bipolar and I need to kind of emphasize that and overtell that story yeah I think that's a really great way of looking at it final question then um just to round out the hour what words of advice would you give to someone listening to this who is navigating struggling to navigate bipolar and having their career. Take some time out to gain perspective that while you may have had a diagnosis of bipolar or you might experience the symptoms of extreme moods, it should not take away from your ambition, but you might have to extend your timelines on some of the things that you want to achieve. So really, number one, like have more patience. 
is really important because that just is a stress reliever in itself when you realise you've got more time to achieve your goals. Secondly, surround yourself with a well-being team. Make sure that you have a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a mentor, other people that are around you that can support you and you can be fully transparent to them and talk to them on a regular basis. That's been one of the most important aspects of my development is having this kind of well-being team that I, I can have someone to turn to at any stage. And then really think about your habits and your behaviours and how you're showing up on the world on a daily basis and think about the, the small things that you can adjust to give yourself a breather throughout the day. You know, standing up, walking away from your desk, making sure you have full lunch, making sure that you finish work on time and down your tools, making effort for downtime, you know, whatever you, you feel that is. And overall, just kind of take time, reassess and be patient with the ambitions and goals that you have. But don't be steered away from those goals because I still believe you should have belief that you can achieve whatever you're setting out to achieve. Nice. And very, very last question. Jeremy, advice or what would you tell people who have a bipolar colleague at work and that want to you know, support them or be as understanding as possible? Don't judge them. Treat them like you would treat anybody else that you care about. You don't necessarily care about everybody at work, but you know, the ones you want to go the extra mile with, be a good friend. You don't need to quiz them or go the extra mile on understanding them what you just might do is have an open conversation with them and if you do notice something that is changed in their common pattern of behavior and it's impacting others then you know bring that observation to them in a polite and safe environment you know take them out of the office pop to a cafe or set up a zoom call and and just um, be very sensitive to how they might react, but deliver your observation in a very kind and thoughtful manner so that they can appreciate that you're simply concerned for their well-being and you want to be available and there to help them out. And that, that would be really appreciated. James, uh, I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. It's been great talking to you about this. I love how open you are. So yeah, thanks for, thanks for being on the podcast. It's been really good. Awesome. Thanks for having me. This podcast was hosted by Maite Otero, produced by Billy Cragen, and brought to you by Oliva. Proper mental health support and emotional growth for every single employee. Thanks to James for sharing his story and for proving that teenagers will do anything to impress a crush, even if it defines the rest of their career. If you're a fan of the podcast, you can like or subscribe to Mental Health at Work in all the usual places. And if you really want to help us beat the podcast search engine algorithms, you can also leave us a review on Apple or Spotify, preferably a positive one. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.